Yes. Uh, Sakina, this was 1978. And, you know, I, I don't think there's an appreciation of what the apartheid government's reaction to the Soweto revolt would have been. I think people, you know, do not have the full picture of how the apartheid state responded. Pace magazine was one of the responses. It was actually a response to the Soweto revolt. And they did a couple of things that were intended to undermine the student movement, even though it had gone into exile. By the way, let me add that another publication that the apartheid state established at the time through the Department of Information and Asher Rudy and Connie Meldel, the relative of this guy who is with the, the Freedom Front Plus, I think it's his uncle or something. He was Minister of Department of Information at the time. And he set up a citizen newspaper and, and Pace magazine. And these were supposed to, you know, one of the objectives was to undermine the student movement, both inside the country and in exile. And one of the things that they did was to do a, a kind of an exclusive interview with Tietzi Mashinini. This was done by Lucas Mulete, who was editor of Pace at the time. And he was accompanied by Alf Komalo, who was the photographer. Now, I, I really need to explain this, you know, because I think I was in Lesotho at the time. And when, when the thing came out, we were all enraged because what it suggested you know, was that students left the country and they were having fun in exile. And that, you know, that's how the story was actually being told, you know, by Pace in that interview with Tieti Mashenene. Mm. And as a result of that interview, you know, a couple of students who were in Botswana got together and decided that something had to be done. And the decision that they arrived at was that while they were still working towards establishing that movement in exile, Tieti was going to be sidelined, you know, in the movement, not actually expelled, because that was going to be ratified once students were able to meet together. And this day it happened. It happened during the Easter weekend of 1979, when students met in the in Zambian capital of Lusaka, and Seiko was launched. Maybe in passing, I may mention the fact that you know, I was supposed to have attended that meeting, but the Lesotho government wouldn't allow me to leave Lesotho at the time. There was a delegation that included myself, Opam Langeni, you know, who also a lot of people don't know anything about. But Opam Langeni was the leader of the Soweto Students League that succeeded the SSRC. Again, this is another, you know, there's a lot that could be said about the SSL, you know, which was established in 1978 and which was also responsible for a student uprising in Bloemfontein. But that's a discussion for another mm. day. And, and, you know, while I was in Lesotho then, Koto was in Botswana. And in Lesotho, we had organized ourselves, you know, as a student movement distinct from the ANC and the PAC, but waiting to make a connection with the people in Botswana. And as you, you know, as, as you may expect from Koto, we suddenly had a, a representative coming from Botswana to visit us in the Soto and tell us about the launch of Seiko in, in Zambia in, in 1979. And the man who came to see us was Lifa Moffat. And by the time he came there, so much had happened in the Soto, I'm just unable to, you know, to go back into it. But part of what I'm trying to demonstrate here is that even in exile, you know, where students were scattered in the Soto, Botswana and Swaziland, Koto was able to work tirelessly during 1978 to see to it that the launch was going to happen early in 1979, and it did happen in, in Zambia. Mm. But the reason why Koto is also 
not quite like. Let's go back to Soe 276 when he came and addressed students, you know, after TAT had left. The one thing that he told students in the mass meetings that he had, I remember he told us that at Madiban High School, is that when students were going to leave the country after September and they went into exile, they should never join the ANC or the PAC, but they, would, they should wait for the formation of what would then become SACO. And for that reason, Koto would never have been liked by the ANC. So that when he went into exile, it was clear to the ANC and the PAC that he is not the kind of person who was going to be easily solicited by them. And that is what alienates him from the, you know, from the mainstream organization. So pretty much like uh, Tietzi Mashinini, Hotso was in and out of the country, even though he was wanted and he knew this. But what was the, the reason for him, you know, coming in and out? Sakina, you know, again, let's just get the record straight. Hotso left around uh, November, early December 1976. He only came back into the country, I remember, just before the school break in March. The one uh, discourse that we used to have in exile is that what was happening in the period between Sharpville and the Soweto uprising. And you would have a lot of arguments from both the ANC and the PAC about what their presence was inside the country. But we were all not convinced. And, you know, when Koto came, one of the discourses that we would have is that we're going to make sure that we don't leave the country for anything more than five years. Because then you get so much alienated and cut off from the country, you do not know what is happening. Mm. Now, this is something that a lot of people may not know about. In Deep Coups, there was what, you know, there was the Methodist Guild, young people who, you know, who were organized in a guild around 1980-81. And they went to Botswana, you know, over the holidays of 1980. And Koto met these students. And this is important. And he saw the opportunity that, you know, he could be able to come back into the country early in 1981. Because already he had made contact with these students. A lot of them actually came from Zone 4, Dikuf, which is where I actually come from. And in March 1981... Koto was back in the country, and he was going to actually meet with these students in Deep Roof. Now, we all do not know how the security police knew that Koto was in Deep Roof, and he was arrested. Now, I'm trying to answer your question. Koto did not leave the country and come in and out, you know, between 1976 and 79. He only came back in 1979, which is when he was, you know, arrested, and he, he was up for trial in 1982.